0: This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. The last traces of red tide have finally left Florida waters, but the fish-killing algae took a big hit on our sea life and, in some cases, on our tourism. Tourism is such an important industry for our state, and we want to take a look at how businesses are faring in the wake of red tide, what's new with our theme parks, and where tourism is heading. We'll hear from a reporter who covers tourism in Tampa Bay, plus a tourism expert at the University of Central Florida. But first, I spoke with Visit Sarasota County Vice President Aaron Duggan. The county saw a significant drop in hotel occupancy during the last few months of 2018, the biggest dip in quarterly numbers since the 9-11 terror attacks. Duggan attributes most of that to Red Tide.
1: What makes me say that Red Tide Tide was the reason for the impact being negative is because we saw the trend start in August. So not only were our August 18 numbers down when compared to our August 17 numbers down, but we saw that trend continue in September, October, November, and December. So I think when you look at average daily rates being down, when you look at occupancy being down, the impact really trickles. So you've also then got restaurants that don't have as many people coming in, entities that sell seats to theaters and to shows, their attendance being down. It really just had a trickle effect.
0: And then the pictures coming in on social media of the
1: piles and piles of dead fish and dead sea turtles. Correct. I mean, I've been in this region for over 35 years, and so I most certainly have seen Red Tide before. Every time somebody would ask me, what about this red tide was so different than red tides I had seen before, my first comment was always social media. I just think that um, the ability for anybody to, in essence, kind of be the newsmaker, for anybody to very quickly share a photo, uh, social media allowed people to do that, whether it was within context or without of context, um, social media still had the ability to share things very quickly. So that must have been discouraging
0: for you every time you'd see an Instagram post of something negative like that.
1: And was there any way to combat that kind of image? I think our role at a destination uh, marketing organization is to simply tell the truth. So I can't say that a picture was ever discouraging if it was a factual picture. I think if we were seeing a picture being portrayed as being today with, you know, in reality, maybe it was a photo from a month ago. To me, that would be more of the disappointment or something that would be discouraging. I think Sarasota County is such a blessed destination in that I always say we're a destination of ands, not ors. While we do have these gorgeous beaches and these amazing things to do on the waterways, we also have a lot of other really cool things to do in the destination. So during Red Tide, it wasn't so much about telling the negative story of Red Tide or the negative reasons why you couldn't go to the beach. It was an opportunity for us to talk about the positive things happening in the destination. We've got gorgeous museums. We've got gorgeous gardens. We've got great rivers. We've got opportunities in Oscar Shear State Park, Mayaka State Park we 've got great shopping districts from Dearborn Street in Inglewood, Florida, to St Armand's Circle on Lido Key, so it was really an opportunity for us to continue to tell the good stories of Sarasota County, but we made sure that we were telling uh, stories that were things that people could do when they were here.
0: Do you have any for the next time that Red Tide hits Sarasota County, and it certainly will hit again it 's as you said it's been been going on forever and it will continue. Do you have any new ways of dealing with that
1: of tourism? Did you learn anything during this long bout with red tide? I do think that the beach conditions report remains a very important tool for not only our residents but for visitors as well, and there is a little piece of tourist development tax in Sarasota County that goes to fund that. So I encourage people 365 days a year, if you're going to the beach and you want to look at the conditions of that beach, Go to visitbeaches.org and you can find out the daily conditions of the beach. And that site's updated twice a day. So if there is something like red tide going on, we most certainly will lead people to that URL because not only do tides shift and change and the weather conditions change. And so, you know, where red tide might have impacted one beach one day, it might not have been impacting another beach that same day. And two days later, It could be the reverse. So I think not only has that tool been important, I think it will continue to be important. But I think that for us, we've got so many great stories to tell, whether it's a chef, and something that they're serving or we've got spring training even when the spring training's not going on at those fields other events go on the rowing facility you know that's a great facility that's open 365 days a year to a wide variety of events not just rowing events that bring in both tourists and events that service residents so really no matter what's going on I think we still have positive stories that we can tell that would give a visitor or a resident something to do that day.
0: Aaron Duggan is Vice President of Visit Sarasota County. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. I'm Robin Sessingham, and joining me now in the Donna Studio at WUSF Public Media are Alan File, the Visit Orlando Endowed Chair of Tourism, Marketing, and Graduate Programs Director at the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida. And Veronica Brazina-Smith, a reporter with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. So, Alan... The state took a pounding from Red Tide on the Gulf Coast and then the toxic algae on the East Coast, but still the overall tourism numbers were strong last year. How do you account for that?
2: In many ways, it just goes to show how strong Florida is in terms of its products. Yes, there were many, many problems, but I think it's diversity, be it it's sort of sporting attractions, entertainment, all the outdoor Opportunities that are not necessarily directly on the coast, huge appeal, and it's very, very impressive. So it it just goes to demonstrate it has a very, very strong brand, and long may it continue.
0: So, Veronica, tourism numbers are at record numbers, which is great. Yes, um, sure. but traffic is horrible. <laughs> And from what I gather, international visitors do spend a lot more than domestic tourists, as much as six times as much. Yes. Um, So are tourism agencies redirecting their advertising to try to pull some more of these international visitors?
3: The reach is far and wide. And that's what the tourism agencies, as well as the airport, I always have great conversations uh, with Ken Strickland with the airport, and he's in you know the business of recruiting airlines and attracting them over here. They really do cast a wide net. Alan,
0: what about that, trying to get the international visitors here? I think I saw a video from Visit Tampa Bay that they had a video in Victoria Station in London. That seems like a smart thing to do.
2: Yes, the international market to Florida generally is very positive, And I think I'm running saying the top five is Canada, it's the UK, where you can tell I'm from, Brazil, Argentina and Colombia. So, you know, the markets are strong. That said, all countries have their own peculiar problems and challenges. Um, so things like exchange rates, political change. All those things feed into the equation, but I think it goes back to what we said earlier. Florida is a very, very robust brand. The international markets, they know it. They know it well. I think there's so much going on. The the previous speaker mentioned the airports in uh, Orlando. The airport is going through significant expansion. But you know, one could argue it's much needed. But much of that is geared towards making the international arrival and experience much smoother and, and certainly of a, a much more of a quality experience, to, conducive to to what they're expecting. The more direct flights you can attract, the better. You get a longer stay and you get a much more positive experience than if you're having to change somewhere else. So everything, from what I can see that that's being done, it's big. Yes, it will add to the traffic, I'm sure. But the general resilience of Florida as a sort of market will certainly benefit.
0: And Florida has been relying on these big spending visitors from South America, as you mentioned. Is that market still secure?
2: It fluctuates, I think, is the, the fair answer. And, and I think Miami probably has suffered a little bit more than, than compared to Orlando. But the South American market, bearing in mind what has happened in the past year or two, the markets have held up quite strongly, actually.
0: Veronica, you've done a lot of reporting on Tampa International Airport, as you mentioned. So we're going into spring break season. <laughs> yes. What does that mean for the airport?
3: Well, the airport had said they expect to see over three and a half million visitors which is tremendous, and that's a new record-breaking number for the airport during this month-and-a-half season. Southwest Airlines is going to have a big chunk of that.
0: Yeah, so who? which are the airlines that are taking most of the business at Tampa International?
3: Southwest is huge, and so is Frontier. I would say that those are the largest carriers over there right now. Um, but it seems like all the carriers are just massively growing over there.
0: So... Florida has been having year after year of record-breaking tourism numbers. Alan, what can they do to sustain that kind of growth? And do they want to?
2: I think industry and politicians, they still see room for growth for, for the foreseeable future. I think that there's a variety of things, and it probably taps into a couple of things I said a bit earlier. I think sport, certainly in central Florida and over in the Tampa area, is enormous all sorts of sports, be it the professional sports, uh, youth sports in particular, which is phenomenal growth and huge business for the hotels and uh, residential properties. The entertainment areas, be they sort of indoor arenas, outdoor arenas, and certainly the general outdoors. I think there's been a sharp increase in recent years in visits to state parks, the interest in the wildlife this is where it touches base with the red tide. And if you can keep the environment clean, if you can keep the environment conducive to tourism, then the numbers will, will, will be very healthy.
0: Where is the state's biggest competition coming from?
2: Oh, everywhere. If you're in Orlando, the competition's New York City, it's Vegas. If you're on the beaches, it's maybe South Carolina, North Carolina, and other areas in the Gulf Coast and the Caribbean. If it's the business area, you can include Chicago into that. So I think one of the misnomers about tourism in Florida is, oh, tourists will always come. Well, they will always come if you do it properly and if you're in tune with your competition for the different markets that you're seeking, because there's competition everywhere.
0: But the other states that you mentioned, they can't duplicate the weather. Um, Exactly. But I do think the summer season must be tough.
2: Yeah, you can't duplicate the weather. And certainly with my comments on the sporting front, that's one of the major pluses, particularly for participative sport. You've got a 12-month year of open business. So it makes a huge difference for those particular markets. In the summer months, yes, it's very competitive. But I think if you look at certainly in this area, the theme parks, it's not just the money they're spending. It's the sort of creative expansion that they're going through. Interesting, if you look uh, globally, the, the biggest city for tourism at the moment is Shanghai in China. Much of that has been driven by Disney's expansion into the city. So it just shows in other parts of the world, if, if you get a quality product, it will have major positive repercussions for other, other parts of tourism.
0: I want to talk about the theme parks in a second. But going back to sports, that is a change that I have noticed in the last several years. Kids used to not, particularly in high school or junior high, they would take off for their spring break. But now, kids from up north, they're coming down here to continue their sports at like ESPN, Wide World of Sports Center. There's a lot of, like you said, sports tourism.
2: Yeah, it's huge. It's certainly huge in this area and certainly in the Tampa area as well. Both areas have got excellent facilities. They're far more professional in the way that they're marketing these as packages now. It's not just the weather. Obviously, the weather is a huge huge advantage, but you need the facilities. You mentioned ESPN, uh, great facilities. They're packed, absolutely packed. So bad weather in the north is extremely good news for us down here in Florida.
0: Mm So, Veronica, you wrote about this in Pasco County. They are remaking
3: themselves as the sports coast. Yes, Florida's a sports coast. I mean, right now in Pasco County, they're, you know, known for fishing, scalloping during that season. Homosassa. Yes, but fishing's a huge thing over there as well as any water sport. So this is rebranding for them, but also completely making a whole new identity you know, Visit Pasco was explaining how they really didn't have any numbers to go off of because they had data from last year, but not previous years.
0: They weren't even keeping track of their tourism numbers. No. Because for them, it's sort of, they never thought of themselves as a tourism destination, really, I guess.
3: No, and now it's this whole new idea, and this branding speaks to, you know, the natural assets that you find in Pasco County. But a huge player in that is the new sports facility that Rad is developing. It's the the Wiregrass Ranch Sports Complex. It's already underway. And where is that? That's going to be near the Wiregrass Mall. And there's also going to be a hotel built right next to it. That's going to really help because families coming in, tournaments that are going to be played there, they're going to have, you know, a nice place to stay at conveniently right there at that sports center. They want to try to tap into unique sports that you wouldn't immediately think of. So I think that's really going to help bring in a huge crowd. I believe the economic impact, there's different numbers out there, but I've seen that in the first year, I believe it's supposed to create about six and a half million as far as economic impact. So if you can find a
0: sport where you don't have a lot of competition like Sarasota County did with the uh, World Rowing Championship for them, so it works out. Oh, yeah. So there are some big things happening in the theme parks. Alan, there's Star Wars Land opening at Disney.
2: That's correct. I think that's due to open within the next 12 months. So it just represents yet more quality development, continual improvement, and that just entices more and more visitors. They want to see it. I I think when Avatar opened recently, if, if you're looking at the queues, that may put some people off. But in reality, it doesn't. If the product is that good, they'll go and visit.
0: I can't understand it. (laughs) I can't understand standing in those lines. But, okay, what else? There's the new Harry Potter ride at Universal, and then at SeaWorld, a Sesame Street-themed area.
2: That's right. And, you know, expansion for all those three parks seems continuous. They're very cognizant of the demographic trends in Florida. This is something that we've not mentioned so far Mm -hmm. is the fact that we talk about international visitors, but most of Florida, it's a domestic market. And if you look at the population trends over the next 10 to 15 years, there's huge growth. So in reality, the population is growing at such a fast pace. The market almost is guaranteed for the next 10 to 20 years. They know it. That's why they're expanding.
0: Wow. Well, what I don't understand is then these theme parks do seem to be doing so well. They are so crowded, but we are not seeing any new parks opening up. We'll see expansion of existing parks. Is that because all the cheap dirt is gone now?
2: (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Yes, yes, I think that's part of the issue. The other issue is they're hugely expensive to start from scratch. So if you look at the three big parks here, they've got momentum, they've got a little bit of space. They're all very integrated in terms of their hotels, their transportation and the, the whole package is here. So they're really building on the success of what they've got to come in cold. That takes very deep pockets.
3: So tell us about what's going on at Busch Gardens, Veronica. Oh, no problem. I feel like I'm I'm there every week now or so. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of dirt moving. You have Tigris, which is going to be Florida's uh, tallest launch coaster. And uh, What's a
0: launch coaster?
3: You see this huge tower because we went to the um, site, uh-huh. the actual construction site, and you see this huge tower, and that's what they call their launch tower, where you're going to go vertically up, and then you are also going to be shooting backwards. I believe it's over 60 miles per hour that it's going to happen at. So okay. they describe it, you know, as a, a huge thorough ride, which is good for diversity in the park because, you know, you have a children's area, which is great. You have the other classical roller coasters we all, you know, grew up in in Tampa Bay, you know, riding at Bish Gardens. So it's definitely going to bring in some additional revenue. And then
0: you quoted someone in uh, your piece saying that they have another roller coaster Mm -hmm. under construction. It said this will be the tallest, fastest, steepest roller coaster in the
3: world. So part of that's for North America, and then part of that they say the world. And it's all with hybrid. It's going to be a combination of wood and steel. And um, the group that's going to be developing that is RMC. RMC is known for their work of taking old wooden coasters that have been closed or need repair work and turning them around with steel. So this is, I believe it's the first time Busch Gardens is actually working with RMC. So it's a lot of theme park bloggers are really following this closely, but yes, it's supposed to be the tallest, steepest, and I believe the fastest hybrid coaster.
0: So what about Legoland
3: in Winter Haven in
0: Polk County? They bought the old Cypress Gardens and remade that into Legoland.
3: Do either of you know how that park is doing? Over there, the movie franchise, the Lego Movie, they have three different rides and sections in that park that they're going to be basing off that movie from. They also have a new uh, hotel on the property that they're building that's going to be connecting to the existing hotel.
0: Are there numbers public? Do you know how many visitors are getting?
3: I have not seen any recent numbers, mm-hmm. and um, that's interesting. You mentioned that because companies, you know, such as SeaWorld may talk about the revenue altogether and the number of um, their attendance altogether, too, for all their parks. However, they never publish or never say publicly how each park is performing. Merlin is um, the owner for Legoland, but the numbers I've seen have been past numbers. I haven't seen anything recent as of yet. Do you know anything more about that, Alan?
2: I don't, but one thing I was going to add, it's not just the parks themselves that are doing so well. One of the reasons they're all so positive at the moment is their use of events and the very creative Mm -hmm. use of events. So whether or not it's the Horror Nights at Universal or it's food and wine festivals, music, it really is making them very, very fresh. It's making them continually popular to locals in particular So they're not just a static attraction, there's a buzz, there's constant change of activity and all of them are doing that extremely well.
0: I have been hearing grumbling in recent years that Disney isn't operating at the same high standard as they used to because maybe they don't need to. The crowds will still come, the families still come, the children still want to go to Disney. Do you know anything about that, Alan?
2: Um, No, it's not something I've heard, to be honest. I think people sometimes query about the prices, but if you're looking at the demand for what Disney has, it's it's very hard to argue against what they're doing at the moment. I think it goes back to one of the earlier points about social media. I think people are getting a little bit more fussy, perhaps. They're acutely aware of everything that's going on through friends, relatives, and others who've been to parks. So I'm not sure if its standards are dropping it. Many people would argue, I think, that the standards are getting higher because they need to because the market is getting that much more demanding.
0: Who's the biggest target market for tourism marketing right now, Alan? You said, I mean, it's almost families, parents with small children. That's almost a sure thing. So is there some market that you see um, is not coming here or they, they haven't reached yet that they're trying to?
2: I think the focus is always on families, particularly in this area, but it's actually surprising how many young adults and young couples are actually coming to this area as well. It's not just families that really get attracted to the parks. And certainly if you're coming in and out of the airports, you see many, many young young couples that you know don't have the children yet, but they, they still want the fun. So I think that can certainly expand more. I think the more mature markets are very, very popular still on the coast. And I, I think one thing we haven't mentioned is the business tourist. And certainly in Tampa and here, business tourism is huge.
0: You mean like uh, co- coming for conventions, things it, like exactly. that? Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. And and certain t- times of the year, the conventions, they drive everything. So, you know, the, there's many, many, many markets. And it, with all these things, it's really don't, what are the markets at the most appropriate time and, are you acutely aware of the competition that's out there? And, you know, I think on a business tourism perspective, certainly in the new Orlando airport expansion, I think it's JetBlue is one of the, the main airports uh, partaking in that. And, you know, a very, very large carrier of business travelers in the US.
0: I did want to ask about Airbnb. Is I that... just tried
3: it this weekend
0: for you the did. first time.
3: Yeah. It was my, my birthday this past weekend. And oh, I tried how did it, it go? Uh, It was my first time, and um, I used a place that was over near Wachi Springs. I went kayaking and then uh, stayed the night there. It was only about 10, 15 minutes away. It was an awesome experience. I mean, I think a lot of millennials now are looking for the experience rather than to go to a simple, you know, hotel. So I got, for example, this little house, and it was a cute bungalow on the water, just sat by a fire pit at night and Watch the sunset too.
0: And how old are you, Veronica?
3: Just turned twenty-seven. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So that's your demographic right there, definitely. Um, so, what about staying in a hotel? Did, did this just seem easier and more natural, or more customized for you?
3: I just have heard, you know, so much about it, and um, I was interested in it too because you see, you know, the thousands of dollars coming in for the hosts, you know, per month, and so I, I wanted to see, you know, what would it be like on the other side too. I could honestly see why people, especially snowbirds, if they have a property here, why they would do that. I mean, that's great additional income, especially when you're not even home. That That's a great way. A lot of, you know, the Airbnbs do have keep codes and passwords on locks on the door, which makes it feel, you know, a lot safer.
0: Alan, what have you heard? I mean, is there still a lot of tension between the hotel industry and Airbnb?
2: I I think so. I I was laughing to myself. I'm 53 and I've yet to use it in the US yet. But my children will ask, why aren't we going Airbnb? Right. They're 14 and 16 to them. That's that's what everybody does. I'm like, well, no, we actually like hotels. And, you know, the hotel numbers are holding up. But it really is a case of this new competition is not going to go away. It's going to be bigger. And it's just accepting what have they got, what do they do differently, and how can that influence the design, the service, et cetera, that the hotels are giving. And certainly, if you look at some of the very modern hotel designs now, they are beginning to change their rooms, they're changing the lobbies, and just being more aware of the need for an overall experience rather than just a room. And they, so, can,
0: they contribute yeah. to the bid tax too, right? Oh, greatly. Yeah. Yes, So is it ultimately good for tourism then, Alan?
2: It is overall. I think it very much depends in what city you are. The ease of tapping into the tax base is a problem. So some cities are far more effective at getting the tax from the Airbnb owners than others. And certainly internationally, that's a problem. And it's a little bit like something like Uber and and Lyft, the, the taxi rides. It works in some places exceptionally well. In others, it doesn't. And in some areas, there's not the need. But no, the hotels, I don't think it's a case of being fearful. It's just to recognize there's a new competitor out there and you have to adapt accordingly.
0: That is Alan File, Visit Orlando, Endowed Chair of Tourism, Marketing and Graduate Programs Director at the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida. And we've also been speaking with Veronica Brezina, a reporter with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Thank you both very much. Thank Thank you. you. And Florida Matters is now available as a podcast. It's another great way to listen whenever it's convenient for you. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts or go to our website, WUSF.org, and click the Listen tab. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The producer is Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sessingham. Thanks for listening.